Good morning. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the January 10 meeting of the Budget and Finance Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Raphael Mendelman, and very welcome to our new member, uh, Supervisor uh, Mirna Malgar. Our clerk is Brent Talipa. I would like to thank uh, SFGUP TV, Kalina Mendoza, for uh, broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you, Madam Chair, and Happy New Year. Uh, just a friendly reminder. To those in attendance, please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices so as to not to interrupt our proceedings. Should you have any documents to be included as part of the file that should be submitted to myself, the clerk, uh, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, uh, please line up to speak on the west side of the chamber to your right, my left, right along those curtains. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee clerk at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place. Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And due to the observance of Martin Luther King holiday, uh, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors' agenda of January 23rd, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And before we call the items, I would just like to remind everyone that um, the format of this uh, committee hearing, we have budget and legislative analyst reports for three items on today's agendas. Uh, for those uh, items, we will have the department presentation first, followed by the budget and legislative analyst report. Then we will take committee questions, then public comments. Mr. Clerk, please call item number one. Yes, item number one is an ordinance authorizing the police department to expend grant funds received from the Board of State and Community Corrections Organized Retail Theft Grant Program to procure equipment and services without competitive bidding under the administrative code. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, as a reminder, this conversation uh, really uh, just uh, to make sure that we uh, do all the due diligence. Um, I just want to be clear that this grant has already moved forward. Uh, we have accepted and expanded this grant uh, for specifically from the states for this uh, retail theft prevention grant program. And but we want to be make we want to make sure that we uh, give the explicit uh, waiver for the competitive procurement requirements under the administrative code, so that we can accept these uh, equipment. Um, without doubt. Uh, so with that, we have San Francisco Police Department here. Thank you, good morning, committee chair, supervisors. My name is Diana Oliva Roche, and I'm the director of policy and public affairs. And I just wanna thank uh, budget chair Chan for all the work that we've had in the last couple of weeks. And we've worked really closely together to make sure that we're obviously complying with some of the city requirements around competitive bidding. And we're ensuring that the waiver is very explicit in this a &E, and in the future, we'll continue working closely together to ensure that we're meeting any contract obligations for the city. Aside from that, just a quick reminder to the committee, uh, this A&E is coupled with our policy related to our automatic license plate reading revision. That policy has already passed. Uh, and so we're waiting for this accept and expense so that we can continue moving forward with the actual procurement and the purchasing of flock cameras so that we can end up installing in major corridors in the city and county of San Francisco. 
and I'm here for, to answer any questions. I'm also accompanied by our former um, CFO, Patrick Leon, in case you have any budget-specific questions. Well, congratulations on uh, Patrick Leon on your new gig. Uh, Supervisor Malgar. Thank you so much, uh, Chair Chan. Uh, thank you, Ms. Olivarocha. Um, so, you know, I realize that this committee has already approved the grant before uh, I joined it, um, and this is about the competitive procurement requirements. Um, I do um, have a, a question about how this all will all work out. I mean, much, much of the attention has been on the downtown core. Uh, that is our bread and butter for tourism. Um, so I am specifically interested, as you know, in Stonetown, which is in my district, uh, which also sees a lot of tourism. As we are the first exit off of the 280 freeway from the airport, where we have seen a lot of uh, break-ins and retail theft. Um, and that, in contrast to Westfield, is a very successful mall, and we want to keep it that way. So I am just um, worried about um, the neighborhoods you know, and how uh, we will hopefully benefit uh, and our, our neighbors will hopefully benefit from uh, not the competitive bidding process being uh, more effective, but also, you know, the, the grant itself. Uh, and I know some of my other colleagues who represent areas not downtown are also interested in this as well. Yes. Thank you, Supervisor. So if I understand correctly, just sort of our commitment is what you're requesting. Uh, and process. And, we, yeah. and process, absolutely. Uh, so Stonestown in that area of 19th Avenue is very much an area that right now we're really focused on given some of the recent incidents and ongoing incidents as you've described. In terms of the grant, grant and flock in the installment process, so the grant itself allows us to purchase 400 cameras. Roughly, we're looking at probably distributing around 10 cameras per district, supervisory district, and we're looking at making sure that all the major highways are covered. So it is gonna allow us to be able to install cameras in the areas that you're describing, and specifically around the Stonestown corridors around 19th Avenue. So that is one of the places right now that we're looking at more intentionally. We have a crime strategies analysis that's coupled with this process. Once we get approved, we're moving forward with two analysts that are gonna be looking at hotspots to ensure that any other additional installations, aside from major highways and major streets, are covered as well. And so our goal is to cover the entire city with this grant, just simply because you cannot just cover one part of the city and not cover the other, meaning we cannot just go to, for example, Union Square and not really look at the other parts of the city, right? Uh, which is sort of the, the big elephant in the room and the question that usually comes up. In order for Union Square or Westfield or Stonestown to really ensure the public safety of those surroundings, we have to look at a citywide approach for this installation, which is why we went for such a large grant. Uh, and so hopefully with these resources that do not exhaust the general fund, we'll be able to make sure that we have the resources to cover the entire city. Thank you. Thank you. And I don't see any name on the roster, so let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, we now invite members of the public who have joined us today and who wish to uh, speak on this item to line up to speak now. Uh, please come forward to the lectern and all speakers will have two minutes to speak. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to make the motion to move this item uh, to full board with recommendation. And uh, with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion, the forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Malgar. Aye. Malgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes.
Thank you. The motion passes. And please call item number two. Yes, item number two is a resolution retroactively authorizing the San Francisco Public Library to accept and expand the grant not to exceed uh, amount of 375000 from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation to support the jail and reentry services program for the performance period of October 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2024. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And uh, we have Janine Austin from Jail and uh, Reentry Service Librarian from the San Francisco Public Library. Hi, thank you. I'm just pulling up my slides. I'm Jeannie Austin. I'm one of the principal investigators on the existing Expanding Information Access for Incarcerated People grant. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about some of the work we've done and some additional funding that we've been offered from the Mellon Foundation. So our initial grant period was two years, beginning in January of 2022. We received and were able to accept $2 million from the Mellon Foundation in order to create a more robust set of resources to support libraries that serve people who are incarcerated or people who are in the process of reentry. Given our ongoing work and the work that we continue to do, we've been offered an additional amount of funding for $375,000 from the Mellon Foundation. We're also working with the American Library Association as a subgrantee on this grant. So far, we've been able to um, fulfill most of what we plan to do with the grant application. We have created a public resource. It's a map that shows where libraries are providing library services for people who are incarcerated. We've brought together professionals across the United States to convene. Um, our first convening in 2022, there were around 50, 55 people. Our most recent, there were 90 librarians that serve people who are incarcerated or in the process of reentry. And those have also always featured people who are formerly incarcerated speaking about their own information needs. We've brought together a training series of about 10 videos um, captioned both in English and we're captioning in Spanish that illustrate different types of library services that are available for people who are incarcerated or people in reentry. And we've also released white papers related to technology, general library services, and to promote models for doing these services. It might be useful to know here that while it might, you might have an assumption that these services exist nationwide, they're actually fairly rare. And so the impact of this grant is very meaningful as far as we've been supporting new services coming together. The, with the American Library Association, we've also worked on updating the standards for library services for people who are incarcerated. The last time that those were published was in 1992, so they're severely outdated. They'll be published this year and distributed for free to at least 100 partners who are interested or are currently providing library services inside of jails or prisons or juvenile detention centers. Some of our continuing efforts build off of the momentum that we've already established with this grant. We plan to bring together 150 librarians this year before the American Library Association's annual conference, which will be in California. We're continuing our research on library services, including new services that are coming up, what models exist, and publication review. We're also updating our map continuously. This year, we're also beginning to create an archive that helps us to see how this impact has influenced the growth of new services and how services are coming on, and we'll be using that as part of our grant reporting. We're also promoting the training series that I mentioned already, and we have an advisory committee that consists of formerly incarcerated people or people who have been providing information to incarcerated people that we plan to continue to sustain through the end of this year. 
The American Library Association, our subgrantee, is working on building digital literacy source resources for people who have been impacted by incarceration. As you can imagine, when people are incarcerated, they don't have access to technology, so there's a huge need for more information about how libraries can utilize their existing resources to support people when they're getting out. We've already seen a major impact of this project. Uh, our professional networks are stronger than they've ever been before. We have an ongoing communication with partners all across the United States. We know that there are more library services that are being created. The training series, which is freely available online and available through the American Library Association's uh, continuing education platform is getting a ton of views. Many librarians are getting certificates and we constantly hear from librarians across the country that they're interested in doing this work. So thank you for your consideration and for listening to my presentation. Um, I look forward to any questions you might have. Thank you. I do see, um, I do have a couple questions, and um, but I do see part of it. It's uh, already included in the presentation, which is including the travel mm -hmm. um, for the conference. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was originally that I was trying to have a better understanding about what the conferences are about. So I appreciate you included in the presentation. You did actually submit a uh, statement about why is retroactive, but could you just um, state a little bit on the record um, during the hearing, uh, why this was actually uh, retroactive? Yes, we were invited to submit for this additional funding in July of last year, and Mellon's process just moves very quickly. So we wanna keep a continuity between the grant that we've already had in order to sustain our activities because we don't want anything to drop off in an interim period. And so, because this one, it's the required date, it's October 1st. Mm -hmm. And when did you re receive the grant on September 22nd? But then now you're just coming into the board for, I think we, we put in the, when did we put this in? Do you remember, Mike? Hi, Mike Fernandez. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for the San Francisco Public Library. I don't recall exactly when we put this in to the, to the initial process, but it takes some time to get all the documentation together and with the holidays and everything. This was the first really meeting that we could make given the, with, given the September um, start date uh, where we originally received the information. As you know, it's, Two weeks is a very unreasonable amount of time for us to be able to turn around a packet to you all and go through the analysis with the controller's office and everyone else to get this calendar um, and get your approval within two weeks. So we, we already, always knew we were going to have to enter into retroactive. Mm -hmm. um, we would have liked to have this sooner, of course, um, but we really hustled and got it as quickly as we could. Looks like you, I mean, I, I mean, the, according to the letter that you submitted, mm -hmm. I'm just reading it off, I, you know, that you, you got the notice on September 22nd, looks like you had the required start date for the program on October 1st, which mm -hmm. I assume you already started because it's, you don't want it to, you actually have a, you, it's a previous grant that you already received and you're trying to do a continuing programming, and, uh, but then it looks like you actually got the controller's approval on October 17th and you submit it to the mayor's office for review um, and approval on November 3rd. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, to uh, always accept and expand grants, you know, <laughs> which is coming to the to the city. Uh, I don't see any other questions. Uh, it's always good to just uh, be able to not to do it too, too long or too late uh, in terms of retroactivity. Uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. 
Thank you, um, Mad Madam Chair. Um, I this I'm um, just so impressed by this work. I didn't know about it. It's one of the things I like about this committee is seeing the good stuff that the mm -hmm. city and county does. And I want to thank you for chasing after this money and programming it. And I would like to be added as a co-sponsor. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, let's go to public comments. Thank you. Yes, members of the public have joined us today and wish to comment on, uh, on this item. Um, now is your opportunity to line up and step up to the lectern. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move this item to full board with positive recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. With that, um, Mr. Clerk, please call item number three. Item number three is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Children, Youth, and their families to accept and expend a grant in the amount of $1 million from the United States Department of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, Bureau of Justice Assistance, for participation in the program entitled Stop School Violence Program for the period of October 2nd, 2023 through October 1st, 2026. The funds will enhance the current San Francisco School Crisis Support Coordination Project to improve San Francisco Unified School District's school climate. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we have Jasmine Dawson, uh, Deputy Director of City and Community Partnership from the Department of Children, Youth, and their Families here. Thank you. Great, thank you so much. Good morning, uh, Supervisors Chan, Mandelman, and Supervisor Melgar. Uh, my name is Jasmine Dawson, as mentioned earlier. Um, I'm actually Director of City and Community Partnerships um, with the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families. Uh, I am here to present the resolution to retroactively authorize our department to accept and expand a grant in the amount of a million dollars from the United States um, Department of Justice, OJP, Bureau Justice Assistance Stop School Violence Program Grant for the project period of October 2nd, 2023 through October 1st, 2026. As stated in our packet, this is a retroactive request because we were awarded the grant on September 28th, only four days before the grant start date of October 2nd, 2023. Due to all the necessary review processes for this Accept and Expand, we are expect we are requesting this for this resolution to be retroactive to cover the full grant period. Today I will present briefly on the grant and our planned use of funds and will be joined today by my colleagues from the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families, our CFO, Heidi Burbage, and also uh, here Florence, um, I'm going to mess your name, Corteza. <laughs> I should know that. I know Florence. Um, joined here today. And so on uh, the next slide, please. So um, as mentioned, DCYF submitted and won this grant to continue our partnership with SFUSD and uh, several other partners to um, work on our school crisis support initiative. This initiative helps improve school climate by providing students with the tools they need to recognize, respond, and help prevent acts of violence. Um, these grant funds will support our growing infrastructure to support with the coordination plan and to purchase a database to help us track on-campus incidents and follow up in real time so that administrators can access or have access to information and can coordinate quickly. 
We will provide more technical assistance and training for SFUSD school staff, JP, juvenile probation department, and our community-based organization partners, covering such top, topics as positive youth development, mindfulness, conflict mediation, and de-escalation, motivational interviewing, restorative justice, and restorative practices, also ROCA Rewire, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which is a seven-skill CBT approach to help young people um, learn and practice life-saving skills. And we will lastly, um, we will plan to hire two uh, staff at SF, that will be placed at SFUSD to assist in on-site violence prevention coordination between SFUSD and our school violence interrupters, which are our community-based partners, as well as juvenile probation department. Next slide. And so this uh, grant award, uh, the breakdown is, um, it's again for our um, stop two grant. We will support um, in the following areas of hiring a manager and a coordinator at the school districts. They will, um, they will help us, um, oh, we also have to pay for uh, funds that are, are part of the uh, application. We have to travel to their annual conference. Um, we also will use these funds to um, build out our social media campaign. We recognize that there's a strong connection to social media, and it's been used as, um, to escalate violent incidents on and off campus. And we will use grant funds to make multiple approaches to address these issues. Um, we are um, working closely with the school district on a PSA, uh, public service announcement campaign, to spread peace and unity. We'll also be using funds to develop a social media task force um, that will include youth and city leaders um, that will help us with um, real-time monitoring, dashboards and searches, and constant uh, expansion of websites to monitor. We will also plan to hire um, for 20 social media monitors um, that we hope to kick off in the summer. And then also, too, um, we will procure a contract to develop a tracking database, as mentioned earlier, that will also allow us to track um, and use um, and collect data that is both FERPA and HIPAA compliant and done in partnership with SFUSD and the hospitals. Um, this um, slide here um, is a listing of our multidisciplinary teams. When we presented to you all um, last year, um, the committee did ask about the composition of the role of our partners on the initiative, and here is a snapshot of those roles. In addition to our weekly coordination calls and trainings, uh, we meet frequently throughout the year to continue deepening relationships and refining the structure of our program and model. Some of our core building blocks of these teams are listed here um, with our school um, core team, our um, violence interrupters that are based at the schools, um, our UCSF wraparound partners at the uh, San Francisco General Hospital, as well as juvenile probation department, and then also to um, our technical assistance providers. Next slide, please. Thank you. And then uh, this slide here um, shows our goals and objectives. Um, Stop Grant is, using, um, is used to support our resources for our, our um, initiative, and we're aimed at um, accomplishing these goals and objectives here. Um, decreased conflicts involving students on or off campus, timely response to on-campus school incidents upon notification, and being able to deploy appropriate staff and supportive resources to students and families that are impacted. Um, we hope to increase students' connection to supportive resources and services, also to increase students forming lifelong bonds and trusted relationships with a caring adult and mentor, and then also to, to increase propor proportion of incidents with effective uh, coordinated responses and strengthen our partnerships across um, uh, DCYF, SFUSD, and um, our CBO partners.
And let's see there, uh, keep going to the next slide. Uh, here, this slide here shows our, cur our current and ongoing priorities. Um, these points highlight current activities um, DCYF, SFUSD, and CBO staff are working through to achieve our goals and objectives we laid out in the previous slide. Um, at a previous hearing, um, we were asked the question around um, what these funds are being used to do. These are the current activities in motion supported by the extended grant that uh, we are receiving. Between, um, and just lifting up a couple of um, data points, um, between March 2022 and September 2023, our school violence interrupters reported conducting approximately 143 conflict mediations and sit downs and interventions. Most of those interventions were related to de-escalating and resolving student fights, shootings, and threats. Um, these are not one-and-done conversations or interactions. Numerous conflicts require intensive and ongoing support, such as daily check-ins, family support, and wraparound services. There were also uh, 30 CBO um, community-based organization referrals initiated to grow our network to supportive, of supportive services for youth involved with conflicts. We're also focusing heavily on developing the core structures for growing and sustaining this work. And lastly, I want to end with uh, the voices of some of our young people. Um, in this last slide, um, we um, uh, did some groundwork in, in planning for our social media um, efforts that we know were coming, and we did some focus groups with SFUSD middle school and high school students and asked them to define what safety means to them, and here are some of the, um, the comments that they made. Uh, just lifting up again, um, yeah, it was of six focus groups and over 70 students. And um, yeah, and then we're hoping to continue to engage them as we build out the social media campaign work that we're going to get started using this grant funds. And that's the end of my presentation, and I'm happy to take questions. Thank you. Supervisor Malgar. Thank you so much, uh, Chair Chan, and thank you, Ms. Dawson, for the thorough presentation. Uh, congratulations, and uh, this is really great. Um, I do have uh, some questions, um, as you and I have talked about <laughs> this issue as it pertains to our young people. Um, so the the I'm uh, I'm familiar with the um, school violence interrupters. That's something that you guys have been working on for quite some time, and it's really great. Um, the thing that gives me a little bit of worry about all this is that it's very response uh, focused. We're responding to incidents. We're monitoring social media to respond to anything. And while I understand that we want to concentrate on the kids who are struggling the most, um, my worry is that all kids are struggling uh, yes. after the pandemic. I yes. feel like there's um, like a whole generation of kids who have, uh, you know, sort of come of age on Zoom mm -hmm. um, and uh, have lacked a lot of the socialization to learn about boundaries, conflict resolution. Uh, I, last uh, year, we had a hearing on um, sexual assault in our public schools, and we heard a lot, particularly from girls, but also, uh, you know, boys uh, and, and a lot of uh, folks who, um, you know, uh, talked about uh, you know, conflict resolution, consent, a lot of things that kids are just sort of missing. So I am wondering um, if there is an opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, 
be prevention focused uh, and work with a school district, perhaps with some of these resources or perhaps, you know, by expanding this program to do more uh, like peer support, uh, have a, a overall curriculum that can be rolled out to everyone um, and supported by some of the staff uh, that is about conflict resolution, uh, gender violence, uh, you know, consent, all of these things that are more preventative than um, responding to, uh, you know, violence. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. You remember the pain points we experienced in the last couple of years, particularly last year. Um, and so, yeah, that you're, you're totally right. And so one of the things that we've been working with the school district on is this infrastructure doesn't just have to apply for young people who have weapons, guns on campus. This can apply for a number, a number of ways. And the way that we're learning through this structure is, you know, the value of partnership, the value of training folks, and then also, too, as you mentioned, empowering young people. Um, we definitely want to make sure that we integrate that component those components the peer-to-peer -to, -peer to support is very important um, but we but and we also too I want to lift up that we want to also leverage the many of our community-based organizations that will be a part of our new RFP cycle we're really being intentional about how important it is to have these structured partnerships in place with the school district so that we can you know learn from this and also think about prevention because really all of what we need to do is around prevention it shouldn't just be the intervention and the the back end when it's too late but so, not to belabor the point, but in the in what you presented in terms of the goals and then the structure, is any of this money going to be used on uh, prevention activities? Well, I, I would say that um, for the supports for the, the staff that are going to be coming in to be the SFUSD staff, I think what we're going to try to do is braid some of the work that's already happening on the school campus, which is why we wanted them to be SFUSD positions, because we need to be able to connect with the resources that already exist on the school campus so that we're not creating things exterior to. And so my hope is that we can build towards that and make sure that, that it points back to the prevention and then again braid in all of the resources that already sit on the school side. Thank you, and um, I just want to say that um, for us in the District 1, you know, Washington High School recently had an incident um, mm -hmm. about, you know, discovery of gun uh, on students. Um, what I'm really hoping is that before we even get to that point to uh, identify students bringing weapons to campus, particularly gun, um, you know, it's very alarming before we even get into that point. It's to really hope that there is uh, communications. And I see during your presentation, you talk about sort of just like, how, what do we do in terms of it? I, I think that definitely social media is an element and aspect of it. But what is it that parents and teachers and community, uh, especially those who provide after school support, um, to be able to coordinate some kind of communications uh, among ourselves before uh, that does that even happens, and that particularly I'm pointing to the presentation you mentioned about off-campus campus communications. Um, could you just elaborate just a little bit on that too? Yeah, I think this is a part where we really want to build out the public service um, announcement campaign. We want it to have multiple components that also includes how we engage and give tips to parents, how we give young people signs to be able to notice when things are not right and who to tell. Um, there are already systems in place with the school district, but as you all know, with young people, they really tend to tell 
more to the people they trust. And so that's why it's important that these roles um, are there to capture and catch that information. Also too, I wanna lift up that the School of Violence Interrupters also do work with parents. So when young people get into these incidents, there are moments where there's parent support that's given through the CBO partner, community-based organization partners, but we need to do a lot more. Um, Just things for parents to know, just to look out for with their young person on top of the messaging that we need to do in terms of blanketing the city. Yeah, I mean, I think that the reality is that, uh, thank you for saying that we we need to do more of that work. Um, what what I would really like to see, um, not at this moment, but for your return uh, to report back this program and the implementation of it, is that to to tell us very specifically what the infrastructure looks like. Meaning, um, and, and my office is actually working on, you know, c- uh, convening uh, a communications tree, so to speak, mm-hmm. that is for District 1, clearly, you know, for parents, teachers, and and, and us, and facilitating uh, with, along with community-based uh, organizations, what is it that we can do to communicate about incidents that are not uh, violent incidents, but high risk? Yes. And, and I think that is where we need to identify high-risk uh, individuals, high-risk incidents that are bordering and teetering that could lead to a violent incident. And I think that that is the question that I have, that it seems like we lack infrastructure. Mm, I, I shouldn't say we lack infrastructure. How do we scale up with the existing infrastructure that we have and with these type of grant funding, which is I assume is really the goal, how do we scale up and expand um, the existing infrastructure is what I like to hear. Um, and that could be including what are the regular checks in and you know, um, I, I think those are really lack. And, and I wanna say um, it's probably also I don't want to put it on everyone as if we have never done this before. I think that San Francisco uh, has a robust connection and network for a long time, but I think the pandemic sort of put uh, a wrench in those uh, things that have been building momentum and that it's hard when people are not meeting in person, uh, when students are not meeting, we're not in meeting in persons, including teachers and parents. So I really would love to see that resume in terms of communication channels. Absolutely. Thank you. Vice Chair Mandelman. Uh, thank you, Chair Chan. Um, and uh, again, this is important work. I um, have been concerned, and a number of my constituents have been concerned um, about incidents of violence that have taken place even at middle schools um, in, in the district, which uh, is shocking and disturbing um, in its intensity and in weapons. Um, and so I'm glad to see uh, you trying to address this. Um, so I would like to be added as a co-sponsor for this as well. Thank you. Thank you. Me too, please. Cool. So both um, Vice Chair Mandelman and Supervisor Melgar are now added as a co-sponsor for this item. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you again. Great, thank you. Thank you. And so with that, let's go to public comment. Yes, Madam Chair, we now invite members of the public who join us today who wish to uh, address this committee regarding this item to please uh, step up to the lectern. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues would like to um, move this item to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. 
Thank you, and the motion passes. Uh, Mr. Clerk, please uh, call item number four. Yes, item number four is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department on the Status of Women to accept an expanded grant increase in the amount of approximately 156000 for a total amount of approximately 306000 from the Blue Shield California Foundation for a one-year grant period from April 1st, 2023 through March 31st, 2024 for the, lever uh, for the Leveraging Collaboratives to End Domestic Violence Program. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we have Department on the Status of Women here. Hi, good morning. Uh, Nazanin Raghavan Foster. I'm a senior program manager for the Department on the Status of Women. Uh, good morning, Madam Chair, Supervisors Mandelman and Supervisor Melgar. I'm here today to request your support for an accept and expend resolution for the Blue Shield of California Foundations Leveraging Collaboratives to End Domestic Violence Grant. You have all the background and materials in your packet and it will provide some high level details. On September 23, the Board of Supervisors passed resolution number 423 Two, three, authorizing the Department on the Status of Women to accept and expend a grant from the Blue Shield of California in the amount of 150000 This new resolution requests an increase in the amount of grant funds for a new total of 305850000 dollars Since 2019, the Department on the Status of Women has been engaged with the Blue Shield of California Foundation's grant program, Leveraging Collaboratives to End Domestic Violence, which established the San Francisco Healing Roots Collaborative, a joint effort of our department, Women Inc., and Young Community Developers. The grant officially runs from April 1st of 2023 to March 31st of 2024. The delay in presenting this accept and expend resolution to you was administrative delays. As we mentioned previously, the project of the Healing Roots Collaborative in this iteration of the grant cycle is to create the Healing Roots podcast the Leveraging Collaboratives to End Domestic Violence initiative is based entirely on the concept of collaboration between governmental and non-governmental agencies to address the root causes of domestic violence and sexual violence and to bring awareness to prevention and intervention efforts. The increase in funding from this grant will go towards the compensation of our nonprofit partners as well as the funding of depart departmental staff engaged within the project. Again, I request your support of this accept and expand resolution and happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I see that um, majority of this, so we're looking at total $305,000. That's correct. Um, roughly, and then uh, out of which I'm seeing that about $42,000 going to staffing and then the rest, uh, $135,000 yeah. roughly going to uh, the partners, which yeah. is what you just listed. Yes. Great. Thank you. And then uh, I do remember particularly this one, though, for you did actually include this grant uh, in your budget um, during the budget hearing uh, June 2023. That's correct. Great. Thank you. Uh, I don't see any other name on the roster. Let's go to public comments on this item. Thank you for all your work. Yes, members of the public have joined us today and wish to speak on this item. Now is your opportunity to uh, step up to the lectern if you want to provide testimony to this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Great. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Vice Chair Mandelman. I'd like to be out as a co-sponsor. Thank you. S sounds good. Thank you. And with that, um, let's move this item to full board with recommendation and a roll call, please. And on the motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Thank you. The motion passes. Uh, Mr. Clerk. Uh, aye. 
I, sorry, yes. I. <laughs> Chair and I. I, <laughs> and the motion passes. Um, and with that, Mr. Clerk, please call item number five. Yes, item number five is an ordinance appropriating 1.4 million from the issuance of Treasure Island Infrastructure and Revitalization in uh, Financing District, or IRFD, Series 2023B tax increment revenue bonds to the affordable housing project in the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development and placing these amounts on controller's reserve in fiscal year 2023 to 2024. Madam Chair. Thank you, and this one has budget and legislative analyst reports, so let's go to the department presentation, which is the Treasure Island Development Authority. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Jamie Krubin, Finance Manager with the Treasure Island Development Authority. Uh, before you, uh, for your review and recommendation, is an ordinance appropriating $1.54 million in tax increment revenue bond proceeds from the Treasure Island Infrastructure and Revitalization Financing District, or the IRFD. I do not have a formal presentation um, prepared today, but as a reminder to this committee, TIDA and the Controller's Office of Public Finance presented a related item to budget and finance in December of last year to approve the issuance and sale of these IRFD bonds. Subsequent to final approval by the Board of Supervisors, the city priced and closed the IRFD bonds in the end of December. So this is a trailing piece of legislation related to that resolution and bond sale. Uh, which appropriates the final proceeds amounts for the IRFD bonds. Um, it's my understanding that the BLA has recommended to reduce the appropriation amount from the estimated amount of $1.54 million to the actual sale amount of $1,350,239, and we agree with that recommendation. Um, as required by the Treasure Island Development Agreement and Financing Plan, the IRFD bond proceeds will be used for pre-development costs on a 100% 150-unit affordable housing project located on Treasure Island called Parcel IC 4.3, which is planned to start construction in late 2026 for completion in 2028. Um, Cindy Heavens, Senior Project Manager at MoCity, is present to answer any questions related to the affordable housing project. And Ming Guo from the Controller's Office of Public Finance is here to answer any questions related to the financing. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Nick Renard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. Item 5 is an appropriation ordinance that would appropriate $1.54 million of uh, Treasure Island bond proceeds. Uh, these are tax increment revenue bonds that were approved by the board uh, in December. Um, and this money will be used to partially fund a $4.5 million pre-development loan uh, that will be provided to John Stewart Company and Catholic Charities for the development of a parcel on Treasure Island. Uh, and, uh, right now, the design uh, includes 150 affordable housing units and a child care center at that site. Uh, repayment of these bond funds will be um, from property taxes generated within Treasure Island. And we do have a recommendation to just amend this appropriation to $1,350,239, which is the actual um, amount uh, in this account, and recommend approval of this ordinance as amended. Thank you. Um, I don't have any questions, but my uh my assumption is that um, that uh, Treasure Island uh, Development Authority is uh, agreeable to the amendments to reflect the uh, amount that is rec recommended by the budget and legislative analyst. We do agree with the recommendation. 
Thank you. And so with that, let's go to public comment on this item. Yes, members of the public who have joined us today and wish to comment on this item, now is your opportunity to line up next to those curtains if you wish to address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Uh, I'm glad to have both Vice Chair Mendelman and Supervisor Malgar, who are actually our chair and vice chair on County Transportation Authority here, and looking at this and evaluating this project, knowing that we still have the uh, toll for Treasure Island to, to discuss and, and figure out. Super <laughs> exciting. Very exciting <laughs> things to make sure that people who live on the island have access uh, to both public transportation and, and ways to get in and get out. Um, and so with that, and I'd like to move this item to full board with recommendation and a roll call, please. Uh, excuse me, Madam Chair. Our, oh, uh, we'd first like to amend yes. according to the Budget and Legislative Analyst Report and move the amended item to full board uh, with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion to amend the ordinance uh, to reduce the appropriated amount from approximately 1.5 to 1.3 and to forward that ordinance to the full board with positive recommendation as amended. Uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. With that, let's uh, go to item number six. Yes, item number six. Is a resolution approving the Director of Public Works uh, declaration of emergency under the Administrative Code to replace chiller, boiler, and cooling tower uh, and perform associated repair and upgrades at Zuckerberg San Francisco General uh, Hospital located at 1001 Potrero Avenue, estimated to cost in excess of $250,000 and affirming the Planning Department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act. Madam Chair. Thank you. All I can say is that I want to start off to say, um, thank goodness no one was hurt uh, from this incident, and that I appreciate you coming before us today. I know that we tried to schedule this item before we went on legislative recess, but I appreciate uh, uh, Department of Public Health answering all the questions that is needed and required in order for us to process this. Um, so the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Madam Chair, members of the committee, Mr. Clerk. Uh, I'm Gabriel Lim, Senior Architect with the Public Works Bureau of Architecture. Uh, my esteemed colleague here, uh, Jason Zook, is an Executive Project Manager from the Department of Public Health at ZSFG. Uh, with that, we are here to request approval to approve the emergency declaration for Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital to allow for the construction for the ZSFG Building 2 Chiller Boiler and cooling tower replacement project. Uh, our presentation will be organized to include, one, a request for approval, risks and vulnerabilities, and three, status and progress. As far as for a request for approval, we are seeking Board of Supervisors approval for admin code section 6.60D for the chiller, boiler, and cooling tower replacement project. In 2016, Department of Health opened a new inpatient acute care hospital and trauma center, Building 25, on the ZSFG campus. The former acute care building, Building 5, currently houses inpatient psychiatric units in 7B, 7C, and 1B, and a skilled nursing unit in 4A, and many outpatient clinics and services. Additionally, Building 5 houses the materials and central supply for the campus for all patient care services. 
Building five also houses critical inpatient services, including the clinical laboratory, linen, and the kitchen that serves the inpatient units in Building 25. Building three houses the pathology lab, which services all patient care services on campus. As far as risks and vulnerabilities, an absence of adequate cooling during high heat days could result in the suspension of outpatient care, cause serious effects to inpatient acute care services, and possibly require relocation of inpatient beds from Building 5. Additionally, DPH has acquired provisional mobile cooling equipment as a stopgap measure. However, this is a temporary solution that may be unable to meet cooling demand on high heat days. You can kind of see the uh, graphic or photo on the right showing the current temporary cooling tower as installed outside Building 2. Uh, DPH has secured and has been actively working in partnership with San Francisco Public Works on a project to replace the cooling towers and chillers on campus. However, the unexpected catastrophic infrastructure failure requires a dramatic acceleration of this project to protect the health and safety of patients, staff, and visitors on campus. The cooling tower is provided to Building 5 and Building 3 by a series of cooling towers located adjacent to the power plant and chillers in Building 2. On September 6, 2023, the cooling towers unexpectedly and catastrophically failed, subsequently ejecting six-foot-long, 72-pound, 75-pound fan blades into the air. These blades damaged safety fencing, causing some debris to land even in parking areas. Thankfully, no injuries had occurred. The cooling towers are unrepairable and remain inoperable until a replacement project is completed. As far as status and progress, Public Works declared an emergency at the request of DPH and continues to address project needs. Project is out to bid with bid prices due on January 19, 2024, with the anticipation for construction to start in March and April of 2024. This process is usually utilizing the best value process due to the complexity and critical nature of the project. Public Works will coordinate with DPH on the subsequent awards for the emergency project. To recap, our request is to approve the emergency declaration for Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center to allow for the construction for the ZSFG Building 2 Chiller, Boiler, and Cooling Tower project in order to, for DPH to protect the health and safety of patients, staff, and visitors on campus. We are in agreement with BLA, who are recommending approval of this item. Thank you for your time and consideration on this request. Thank you. Item six is a resolution that approves uh, the Public Works Emergency Decla Declaration related to um, the cooling tower and chillers uh, failure at General Hospital. Um, this infrastructure has been planned to be replaced since 2011. Um, there's been $26 million of general fund money allocated to the project um, since that time. And then in 2020, the board approved $34.7 million of certificate of participation debt uh, for this project. And at that time, the expected com 
the project was expected to be complete um, in 2023, but it actually hasn't started yet. It's now expected to start in March 2024 and then finish in 2026. Um, the reason for the delay, according to DPH staff, is um, delays from PG&E in obtaining um, electricity connections and a back and forth with the state, um, which has a regulator that regulates changes to hospital facilities um, and then just longer than expected design work. Uh, so this, what this emergency declaration does is waives um, procurement requirements for um, obtaining construction contractors outlined in Chapter 6 of the Administrative Code. It also waives other contracting requirements in Chapters 12A, B, C, and 14B. Uh, we detailed the uh, remaining cost of the project on page 10 of our report, which are fully funded by the previously approved general fund uh, money uh, and the certificate of partic participation debt, which will be issued next year. We recommend approval of item six. Thank you. I, I think this is a question more for a city attorney and uh, than, than for for really the this right now I'm looking at this is telling us that you know thank you for the budget and legislative analysis saying that let's approve this this makes sense um, but we're also looking at uh, through the the report it details um, the cost of it is roughly 46 million dollars uh, 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 close to almost 47 million dollars and just both the soft costs and and construction and everything else um, but in terms of legislation itself and we had these conversation before about um, DC emergency um, declaration uh, around administrative code section 6.6 is that here in the legislation we're saying the the cost in exceeds of $250,000, because technically that is what um, the emergency declaration requires. As soon as you have something uh, in repair as an emergency nature, that you then have to come to the board as soon as it's exceeding $250,000. We have in the past uh, in these um, legislation, or you know, we say exceeds or not to exceed when we understand and identify the cost for repair. For example, you know, in past we have say not to exceed two million for an elevator's repair in uh, Portsmouth Square. And here we, we are only simply stating that it's that this repair is actually in excess of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. While we do have the report, budget and legislative analyst report saying that along with with uh, public works and Department of Public Health say, you know, we, we were gonna look at this cost of it and the repair, it's gonna cost us roughly almost $47 million. So I'm just trying to understand. So once we approve this in the events that the, the cost of repair that is, you know, going up, you know, above this $47 million of estimates that is before us today, what what what's to it like what 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 do we do from there and on out like does it come back to the board for approval or now that they have the emergency declaration excess of two hundred fifty thousand dollars or not uh, you know exceeds two hundred fifty thousand dollars then then so they don't need to come back deputy city attorney sarah crowley um chair chan I believe the, the board's mandate here is to give kind of an up or down approval on whether an emergency exists mm -hmm. such that approval of this um, this expenditure is, is appropriate or this work is appropriate without the, the ordinary chapter six requirements. There's no cap 
imposed if the board approves this going forward without the chapter six requirements. So I don't think there's any trigger for the, the project to come back to the board to reauthorize. Yeah, so I, I just wanna put out on record, I know uh, colleagues, once we approve this emergency repair, and right now it's at the cost estimates of almost $47 million, if this exceeds $47 million, then that means the pub, Department of Public Works and Department of Public Health will not be returning before us for um, more of it. And then again, you know, the, the waiver, the emergency uh, waiver uh, for Administrative Code Section 6.6, it, it also means that I do believe it's also waive the procurement process because that's what the uh, emergency declaration is. So um, I just going to question again with this um, cost estimate and knowing that it's because we have what I would consider as a deferred maintenance since 2011 um, and therefore like here we are you know it's I'm again like I said earlier I'm so glad no one was hurt it sounds like a, a real emergency situation where blades are you know flying around luckily we have a public like we have a safety fencing that um, that protects folks but so help me understand you know the 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 cost estimates at this time before us of 47 million dollars are we, are we gonna hold true to, to the $47 million of repair? That is a good question, Madam Chair. Um, we have taken every um, due diligence in order to, to, to provide for accurate cost estimate and provide for budgeting based on what our professional services consultants have provided. Um, We'll, we'll get a more accurate figure uh, based upon the bids that we received. Uh, but as far as, um, I don't know, if, Jason, if you have any comments on that. Sure. Jason Zook, Executive Project Manager, Zuckerberg General Hospital. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we've, we've, we've done several professional cost estimates. We're confident that we'll stay within within budget i will say that the longer it takes obviously escalation increases cost to projects so by approving this emergency declaration we can save six to eight months off the total sure. duration of, of the project so that definitely helps us keep us in, within budget okay um i i just want to not not because of this particular uh this particular project, I have, uh, you know, expressed my concerns around the waiver emergency declaration, not, not because of this, uh, this particular emergency declaration. Uh, I, I think it, it is on, on me, I, I have said that before, that I, we, will, we will figure out a way to amend Administrative Code 6.6 um, to figure out, um, you know, in the events that a project exceeds um, Again, you know, in its cost estimates, uh, when when can we bring them back for 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 reevaluation? Um, and I think we need to we need to sort uh, it, like what is the threshold between uh, an emergency declaration and and when 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 they actually need to return uh, for further evaluation when it when it comes to uh, contract and contract expenses, um, especially given that. 
by nature is going to waive all the procurement um, in contract. And so do we allow this indefinitely in the events that it exceeds the original estimate? Thank you. Uh, I appreciate everyone uh, being here today. Um, conversation to be continued. Thank you. Uh, with that, let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, we invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to address this committee regarding this item to uh, please line up now. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. And colleagues, with that, I am going to, if I may, um, suggest that we, we move this uh, with without recommendation only because um, this I, 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 while I understand that we need to make this uh, with the declarations and, and that we need this money for repair, I do not know will, will this be, now that once, just be clear that it will not come back to us if in the events that this continue to go on beyond $47 million. Um, I, I would like to have the opportunity to explain why we wouldn't recommend these types of emergency declaration without a cost estimate um, being included in the approval. Uh, with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion to forward this resolution to the full board without recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, um, I would like to call item number seven and eight together. Yes, items uh, seven and eight. Uh, item seven is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Building Inspection to accept and expand a grant in the amount of 100,000 from the California Energy Commission for participation in the California Automated Permit Processing Program and for costs associated directly with the adoption and maintenance of Solar App Plus. Uh, an online automated solar permitting platform for the period of September 1st, 2023 through May 31st, 2027. And item number eight is an ordinance amending the building code to temporarily suspend the annual registration requirement and registration fee for the vacant or abandoned commercial storefronts through December 31st, 2024, and affirming the planning department's determination under CEQA. Madam Chair. Thank you, and today we have Carl Nasida here from uh, uh, Legislative Affairs Manager from the Department of Building Inspection. But uh, before we move any further, I just wanna say that I believe the Mayor's Office along with Department of Building Inspection have requested for item number eight to be continued to the call chair until we figure this out. And especially given that it's a, a fee waiver or fee suspension, uh, we wanna continue this uh, as part of the budget conversation. So I just wanna say that, and then so then we can go to item number seven for the presentation. Thank you, Chair Chan. Good morning, Chair Chan, Vice Chair Mandelman, and Supervisor Melgar. I'm Carl Nasida, Legislative Affairs Manager for the Department of Building Inspection. Today, DBI is seeking approval of a retroactive accept and expend grant for $100,000 from the California Energy Commission for participation in the California Automated Permit Processing Program. Some background for you, in 2022, California lawmakers passed Senate Bill 379, the Solar Access Act, authored by Senator Scott Weiner, which requires most California cities and counties to adopt an automated online permitting platform for standard residential solar and storage systems this year, or last year actually. The Department of Building Inspection chose to adopt Solar App Plus, an online application developed by the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Solar App Plus automates and standardizes the processes for simple residential storage systems. 
The platform asks the contractor a series of questions to verify the solar system's design is up to code. It then runs an automated code compliance and plan check. And then for compliant systems, automatically issues a permit so that the installation can begin. Solar App Plus application is permanently available to customers on DBI's website as of October 1st, 2023. It will help us save time and money, reducing our staff workload, helping San Francisco with our goal of transitioning to 100% renewable energy by 2025 and 100% renewable energy, or, sorry, electricity by 2025 and renewable energy by 2040. It has also been a step in DBI's ongoing efforts to modernize our operations and make our permitting process more customer friendly. DBI has issued about 50 solar permits from Solar App Plus, including a pilot program that was launched last spring. So the California Energy Commission has agreed to fund DBI in the amount of $100,000 for the costs associated directly with the adoption and maintenance of Solar App Plus. The CEC grant funding will support ongoing staff training and education specific to the Solar App Plus platform, as well as equipment that supported the adoption and platform maintenance. This is a retroactive resolution, so just a bit on that. DBI submitted our grant application to the CEC on February 9th of 2023. We received notification of the award on June 5th, 2023. The CEC did require us to uh, finalize the grant agreement and sign by, have it signed by both CEC and DBI by June 30th of 2023 to ensure that the funding that was approved in the state budget in fiscal year 22-23 was still available. So upon receiving the award agreement, DBI prepared the grant package and submitted that to the controller's office for review and approval in September. There, the controller's office requested some corrections to the resolution and supporting documents, and then we submitted the revised resolution to the mayor's office for their review in October, and it was submitted to the board on October 31st. So again, today we are requesting your approval of the retroactive accept and expend grant. Appreciate your time. Happy to answer any questions. Thanks. Thank you, Vice Chair Mendelman. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, the Board of Supervisors passes lots of resolutions urging lots of things, and they sort of go out into the ether, and we wonder whether um, anything uh, is going to come of them. But in this case, um, we actually uh, passed a resolution that I authored and that um, I believe Supervisor Melgar co-sponsored back at the time um, in support of SB uh, 379 and further urged our city departments to move swiftly in implement implementing automated solar permitting platforms and reducing permit review time for solar energy and battery storage systems. And at the time, we worked with some of the same folks who were doing the advocacy in Sacramento about this um, about this legislation from Senator Weiner. Um, Spur, uh, Nick Josefowitz was, was taking lead on that at the time, the California Solar and Storage Association, Environment California. Jacob Bintliff, who was then in my office, did a lot um, on this. And it's exciting to see the department moving forward and even more exciting to see you getting state funding to do it. So. Um, bravo, that's great, I'm excited, and I would like to be added as a co-sponsor. Thank you, and that's a very enthusiastic co-sponsorship. <laughs> and with that, I don't, uh, let's go to public comments on uh, item seven and on the continuance of item eight. Yes, members of the public have joined us today and wish to speak on both items uh, seven and or eight uh, to let them know if you wish to address this committee. 
Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. And colleagues, I would like to make the motion to continue item eight and move item seven to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion, uh, to forward item seven to the full board with a positive recommendation and to uh, continue item eight, I'm sorry, to the call of the chair, Madam Chair. Oh, to call of the chair, yes, okay. indeed. Very well. My apologies. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, please call item number nine. Item number nine is a resolution uh, approving amendment number 48 to the Treasure Island Land and Structures Master Lease between the Treasure Island Development Authority and the United States Navy to extend the term for one year to commence December 1st, 2023 for a total term of November 19th, 1998 through November 30th, 2024, and to authorize the Treasure Island Director to execute and enter into amendments uh, to the lease that, are, uh, that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes and intent of this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you, and uh, we have Treasure Island Development Authority here. Good morning, uh, Chair Chan and members of the committee. My name is Peter Somerville with uh, Treasure Island Development Authority staff. Uh, in front of the committee today is an amendment to the master lease for, man for land and structures on Treasure Island between the authority and the Navy. The amendment is to extend the term for one year, retroactive to December 1, 2023, and continuing to November 30, 2024. We acknowledge the request is for retroactive approval, which is not ideal. Uh, this year, the Navy was delayed in issuing the amendment to TIDA resulting in the TIDA board not being able to approve the amendment until its November meeting prior then to submission for the board of approval. So um, this time next year, we certainly seek to bring that before the committee prior to um, the need for retroactive approval. Um, the amendment extends the term for one year on the same terms and conditions. No other changes are associated with this amendment. It is an annual amendment that uh, the board sees. Uh, Tider requests approval of the item, and I am available to answer any questions that the committee might have. Thank you. We have this lease since 19, November 1998. That is the beginning term. Yeah. Um, in the title, the amendment is for one year. The, the, the leases are amended on an annual basis, uh, December 1 to November 30. So I believe the title of the amendment indicates the entire term, term of the lease going back to 1998, but this amendment is just for one year. Yeah, and then um, could you just uh, elaborate just a little bit more? Why do we need to um, have this one more year? Uh, the Navy real estate policy only issues one-year amendments to our master leases. Um, as, as the board is likely aware, the majority of Treasure Island, Yerba Buena Island, has transferred to the city. Um, however, there are certain parcels that are still under master lease with the Navy. Um, we have asked the Navy uh, whether they would be willing to issue multi-year extensions or kind of an amendment that simply sunsets when um, the, the remaining facilities are out of the lease, but they are unable to do that. Um, because it is their lease, we, we are at the mercy of their uh, requirements, thus we come back annually. So what is the steps? Uh, what, within this one year, what is the plan uh, for the next steps with them? Oh, are we going to continue to lease the space? Are we? We, we, we do lease the space. Um, the facilities that are under this master lease, there are um, 
three facilities, one of which is used as the city's public works corporation yard for the island. Uh, the other two are in our commercial leasing portfolio. And also included in this master lease premises is the perimeter path along the northern end of the island, which is a, a, a recreational walking and biking path. So TIDA does make use of um, the, the facilities and premises under this lease on a regular basis. And so it is our intention to continue, uh, you know, uh, to lease the, lease the spaces, all three spaces, and that uh, whenever uh, a long, if, if granted a longer term, we will negotiate for a longer term. Uh, contingent on our board and board of supervisors approval, we would certainly be open to a longer term for this lease. That is a question that we ask the Navy every year. Perhaps they'll change their mind in future years. Um, there will also obviously be a point where all these properties will transfer through that formal process. This is the last master lease that we have with the Navy. So we do expect this lease to sunset. I don't want to specify the timing. That's probably a better answer for Bob to give. But um, yes, the, the, this lease does have, a, does have a sunset eventually. Good to know. Thank you. That's, that's uh, what I'm trying to get at. I appreciate it. Uh, with that, let's go to public comment on this item. Yes, Madam Chair. Uh, members of the public who have joined us today wish to speak on this item. Now's your opportunity to step to the lectern if you wish to address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Uh, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendations. And with that, roll call, please. Uh, apologies, Madam Chair. Oh. Uh, we were... Um, I did distribute uh, a proposed amendment um, from oh. TIDA to basically add retroactive language uh, as this term will start at December 1st, 2023. Understood. Would like to um, resend the previous motion and would like to make the motion to amend the legislation to insert and the term retroactive uh, throughout the legislation to reflect its retroactivity um, and I uh, would like to send the amended version to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion uh, to amend the resolution to add retroactive language and to forward that resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended, uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Malgar. Malgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And the motion passes. And with that, please, uh, Mr. Clerk, call our actually last item on the agenda, uh, item number 10. Item number 10 is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Recreation and Park Department to accept and expend a grant from the California State Coastal Conservancy for a total, uh, for a term effective upon execution of the grant agreement through December 31st, 2024 in the amount of $5.1 million for, uh, for the 900 Innis redevelopment project approving the associated grant agreement, approving the recording of a deed restriction that prohibits residential use and commercial use as defined as sensitive on the property in perpetuity, and authorizing the Recreation and Park Department to enter into amendments or modifications to the agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of this project or the resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, we have... Tony Moran from uh, Capital Grants Manager from Recreation and Park Department. Good morning. Um, good morning, Chairperson Chan and committee members Melgard and Mandelman. On behalf of the Recreation and Park Department, I'm here to request your recommendation to the Board of Supervisors to authorize a resolution 
retroactively authorizing the Recreation and Park Department to accept and expend a grant from the California State Coastal Conservancy in the amount of $5.1 million for the 900 NS redevelopment project. Uh, the legislation also retro, uh, retroactively approves the associated grant agreement. It approves the recording of a deed restriction that will prohibit residential use and commercial uses defined as sensitive on the property in perpetuity and authorizes the Recreation and Park Department to enter into amendments and modifications to the grant agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities of the city. The 900 Ennis Redevelopment Project is the second phase of the Indian Basin Waterfront Initiative, a partnership among the Trust of Public Land, the San Francisco Parks Alliance, A. Philip Randolph, the Bayview Hunter, Hunters Point community, and the department. The initiative endeavors to build a park that is both spectacular and crucial to the health of San Francisco's southeast communities, which have historically been underserved. The State Coastal Conservancy grant will support phase two of the initiative, the construction of a new park at the 900 Ennis property, which is owned by the city and under the jurisdiction of the Recreation and Park Department. Phase two was initiated in September 2022. It's currently in construction, and the completion is anticipated for this summer with um, summer of 2024. This property was previously a brownfield and um, is now being transformed into a world-class park that will provide new public access to the shoreline and waterfront recreation for all. Grant-funded elements um, that were initiated in November 2023 are funded by the State Coastal Conservancy grant. These uh, grant elements are consistent with the Coastal Conservancy's uh, strategic plan and their priorities. And for that reason, the department proposes to request reimbursement for those expenditures as of November 1st, 2023. Also, um, the grant agreement was executed on December 28th, 2023, and these two um, actions are the reasons this legislation is retroactive. As part of phase one of the India Basin Waterfront Initiative, the 900 Innish property was remediated. The remediation work was completed in August of 2022 under a series of federal and state grants, including a grant from the Environmental Protection Agency, which requires that um, the city recorded deed restriction on the property that prohibits um, certain uses of the site. This um, EPA grant was approved by the Board of Supervisors on res via resolution number 396-19. Like per the EPA agreement, um, the type of uses that are prohibited from the property include a hospital for humans, a public or private school for persons less than 18 years of age, a daycare center for children, or any permanently occupied habitation on the site other than those used for industrial purposes. You know, since this property is currently parkland, it's already protected as open space. But these types of deed restrictions are generally required for sites that have been remediated or redeveloped if there is any potential for contamination and the purpose is to protect public health. So finally, the legislation will also also authorize the department to enter into amendments or modifications to the agreement that do not materially increase the obligations of liabil or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the project or this resolution. That concludes my presentation and I am available to answer questions. Thank you. 
I don't think we have any questions. We appreciate the Sabbath and Expand grant from the states uh, for this project. Look forward to seeing it complete. Um, and let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public have joined us today uh, in which to speak on this item. Now is your opportunity to line up and address this committee and provide public comment. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion, to forward this resolution to the board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Malgar. Malgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And the motion passes. And with that, and um, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other business before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. The meeting is adjourned.